Hi, I'm Charlie Melcher. I'm the founder and director of The Future of Storytelling, and I'd like to welcome you to the first FOST podcast. We're launching this program at a crucial moment when the role of stories and how they connect us has taken on an urgent importance. When I founded The Future of Storytelling back in 2012, the world looked a lot different than it does today. Stories were for the most part created to be passively consumed rather than actively engaged with. Technology was beginning to change that. There were seeds of augmented reality and artificial intelligence, voice interaction and virtual beings. And so I founded The Future of Storytelling to bring the world's greatest minds together to answer a simple question. How do we use these amazing new technologies to tell more powerful stories? That is still an animating question for us. This year, we saw the world's first interactive Super Bowl ad. We saw blockbuster movies that were filmed and directed in VR. We saw newspapers publish augmented reality journalism online. Screenplays written by AIs. Holograms you could sit down and talk with. And I could go on and on. As these technologies have matured and the art of storytelling has evolved, our ambitions have grown. And we've added new questions. Beyond how do we use these technologies to tell stories, how do we use these technologies and talents to tell stories that will bring about positive and lasting impact? The theme for this year's annual summit is Better Stories for a Better Future. Over the course of this podcast, we'll explore that theme, beginning today with Angela Arntz. Angela's a longtime FOSS collaborator who first joined our FOSS Summit in 2013 and is one of our most popular and beloved speakers. A visionary CEO, she led Burberry through a period of massive growth, nearly quadrupling its revenue over the course of her eight-year tenure. Later, as the Senior Vice President of Retail at Apple, she led an effort to revolutionize Apple's retail strategy through an initiative that focused on building trust by empowering customers and creating community. Trust and community. This brings us back to the present moment. One of Angela's motivations was to address what she understood to be the number one public health issue in America, that is isolation and loneliness. We recorded this conversation with Angela long before COVID-19 had risen to the level of pandemic, and yet much of it feels strikingly relevant. Now, between work closures, quarantines, social distancing, people are going to be spending a lot more time alone, which is why we hope this podcast is timely and of value. We'll be bringing you authentic conversations with some of the world's best storytellers, from media marketing to technology and the arts, who are striving to create greater human connections and empathy through their work. This is our FOSS community, gathered together over years of our summit, people who have spoken, attended, led workshops, and we want to invite you to be a part of it. Stories have that unique ability to bridge divides, to overcome isolation, and to make us feel part of something bigger than ourselves. The world needs to learn from the best storytellers now more than ever. At this moment, the date of our summit is in question. We're currently scheduled for June 3rd and 4th here in New York. 
but we're weighing if we should postpone it till fall. It's a daily discussion in our virtual office. For now, this series is how we'll stay in touch. I'll be here each week as we figure out together how stories can help us connect, survive, and thrive. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Angela Arntz. Welcome, Angela. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. What an incredible honor to be uh, the honor is the first all... in what's going to be a great series, I think. The honor is all ours. So, Angela, you were the CEO of Burberry from, what was that, 2005 till 2000 and... 2006 till about 2000 and, yikes, 14. Nine years, right? Yeah, 14. yeah, yeah, almost nine. And I recall that when you joined that company, the valuation was about two billion pounds. And I think it was in the first five years that you about doubled that to four billion. And then by the time you left, it had almost doubled again to over seven billion. That's pretty remarkable results. Because of those incredible results, you were written up all over the place as literally one of the most important and successful female business executives in the world. And I wanted to ask you, I've always wanted to ask you, does that make you proud or annoyed as hell to be referred to as a female business executive when you were literally one of the most successful, period? Wow. Great big first question. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny, Charlie. I, I don't get mad because I don't read most of it. People will send me things, and I'll read the headline, and then I file it. But luckily, I didn't let it impact me back then. I just stayed focused on, on what I needed to do, doing the best job that I could. Then you went on to Apple, and you became the senior vice president of retail and online stores. You were there for about five years. You just recently left. I'd love to ask you, what are you most proud of that you did while you, you were at Apple? I went into Apple with a very strong mission and purpose. It's funny, people would, would ask about the job, and I'd say, I don't really think it's a job, I think it's a calling. When I started at Apple, I didn't speak the language at all, and so I very quickly realized I'd have to kind of tweak the way I talked about things so that everyone else would kind of understand. And so we went on very early on talking about that maybe the store is the largest product that Apple makes. Right? The watch is the smallest and the phone and et cetera. But if you recall about six years ago, you would walk into the store and it was all about hardware or getting something fixed at the Genius Bar, et cetera. But no one talked to you about Apple Music. There were no classes to teach you how to write lyrics or Apple owns GarageBand, how to, how to create music, if you will. There were no coding classes teaching you how to develop an app or how to you know, just reskill, if you will. And so all we tried to do was connect the dots. This is what you're doing on your product. If we're the largest product, then what's our take on how we should be using those same assets, if you will. And there was a tremendous amount that went into developing that. Yes, connecting, but there was a lot of outside research that went into. So tell me about that. Did you engage some consultants or other sources to get data? Yeah, we did. As we were doing all of the internal crowdsourcing, we also reached out to a couple of big consulting firms. And we asked them what were going to be the most important or the largest things impacting society over the course of the next 10 years. And so they pulled a lot of data coming out of Davos, coming out of, you know, different research, et cetera. 
both of them were saying that the number one challenge in the world today is isolation. And, you know, all the data coming from the smart consultants said that it's worse than obesity. It's worse than smoking. It can take, you know, years off of your life, et cetera. Can you just explain that for a second so that people understand it? This was one of the largest health challenges that we face is isolation, loneliness. Yeah. Yeah. And the first thing people will say, it's technology. It has nothing to do with technology. If anything, technology has helped offset it a bit by having people feel connected. It has to do with we've become a real smart society, so we're having fewer children. Those children were born in suburbia. They're now moving into the Nashvilles, the Austins, right? They mm-hmm. want to go into the, where the energy is. And the divorce rates of people over 50 are the highest they've ever been. And I can keep going, but you have all these different factors. So that was one thing. And we said, how could we help? How could we encourage connection, if you will? How could we introduce people to one another when they were coming in to attend a Today at Apple session? I know another one of those factors that leads to a sense of isolation and loneliness is the disintegration of certain kind of community activities. The old, we're bowling alone, no more church picnics, those kinds of things. Even the town center doesn't gather people in the way it used to. Was that all part of your thinking when it comes to the stores? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, like you said, no community hub. Right. You know, I mean, I think there's the high school, the ball games, you know, in, in rural America, but absolutely, there were the local infrastructure for gathering places. And we quickly came up with the tagline encourage connection. Our job was to introduce people to one another. So it's not a coincidence. If you attend any Today at Apple session, the first thing they do is introduce themselves. They make everyone around introduce themselves. And it's funny because there'll be people who follow each other on Instagram or didn't even realize they live down the street from one another. And it's a very soft, but it's a very intentional thing that we were doing to just help. And I've heard you describe the redesign of the stores as community centers or or, or town squares. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Can you talk us a little more about how you thought about the redesign of the stores? Yeah, absolutely. Because again, once you have all of this data then and you say, we have a purpose, you know, we're a big company and we can play a role in helping however little it is. And no one company can solve every problem, but maybe there's a way we can partner, you know, with local government officials and the program that we create. And the way we always look at it, because Apple is for everyone. So we always said, we're a gathering place where everyone is welcome. And that meant Young kids coming in to, you know, take classes maybe they couldn't get in school or all ages. And then how do you make that experience come to life? And we said once we reimagined the experience, we then redesigned the store to support the experience. So what I love about this is that you're suggesting that the role was not just to sell things to your customers, but actually to empower them, to enable them on their own journey of creativity and expression. I never had the honor of meeting Steve Jobs, but the team members just were carrying on his legacy, and they would always say that Steve told us, Steve told us when we opened the store that our job was to enrich lives. And and they were always to do it through the lens of education by sharing with the customer something they didn't know. I think it's a really a, a brilliant approach. I mean, for one, you're using the physical bricks and mortar in a way that you can't replicate easily in the digital space, right? You're, you're building community, you're teaching classes, you're filling in certain needs that society has. I mean, we all know how much the funding for arts education has been cut, for example. 
and the fact that it's sort of a democratized space, right? Anybody can come into that store and take those classes. What was your hope as people took classes at today at Apple and there were sort of levels that they could they could advance through? What is your understanding about the goals of people who are taking those classes? Yeah. And let me back up a second because there were there were three huge factors that we learned again from the crowdsourcing exercise as well as from the really smart consultants. The second thing they said was going to impact society over the course of the next 10 years was automation Mm -hmm. and the number of blue-collar jobs that would be impacted, people that would need to be reskilled. And the third most important thing they said was that the world that artificial intelligence and the impact it would have on what they called white-collar jobs, lawyers, doctors, etc., And their estimations were that a third of both of those jobs could be disrupted in the next five years. And so the whole, again, genesis of today at Apple was, if we know this is coming, then in some little way, can we come up with something? And we said, we can't totally reskill, we can't totally, but can we inspire them to learn something new? What do you really think the role of a company is today? I think as an executive, everyone has a responsibility. What role can you play? What role can your company play? And I think that you can do it in partnership with local governments. That's what we tried to do at Apple. We're going to make an investment. Where should we do this where we can actually help you? And we did that in the top cities around the world so that so that we knew wherever we were going to invest, it would make the impact. It would help and be better for the greater good of the whole. This idea of authentic relationship with customers... I know you. We've had the pleasure of becoming friends for some years now. One of the things that I'm always so struck when you and I sit down to speak is how emotionally available, how honest, how authentic as a human being you are. That's authentic. That's really who you are. And that that comes through in your approach to business. I'm curious when you think about how companies traditionally talk with their customers, speak with their customers, how have you done that differently? because of this desire to be authentic. You know, you don't overthink these things, right? You are who you are, and you're wired like you are. And, and I, I'm from a large family. I'm one of six, and, and there's six of us in seven years, and there's five girls. And, and it's funny, because they would call you out if you were anything but authentic, right? And my parents were always the same way. So I think you also learn at a young age as you're entering business, etc., you're exposed to so many people. And you learn why you respond to certain people in a certain way and why certain people inspire you. And and it's probably, you know, my father sitting here ringing in my mind as well, but <laughs> my father was incredibly well-read and, and very philosophical and and he would you know, quote Aristotle and different people and, and he would always say, you know, to thine own self be true, mm. right? Be the best version of yourself. And so I didn't try to be anything that I wasn't. I connected with people who were true, who I innately trusted, who had high integrity, were very honest. I didn't want to become something else. I wanted to become the best version of me. I've learned that if I look you in the eyes, the more quickly we connect and the more quickly we trust one another, the greater the things we can achieve together. And I think trust will become the greatest global currency. And I think we're going to have to go back to looking people in the eyes. Mm. Voices, everything else with AI, you won't know if it's real or it's not. We do what we measure. 
right? So if we don't have any way to track the contributions that companies can make, the investing in the people and their communities, then we won't do it. Then we don't have any way to know whether we're doing a good job or even to care. But it becomes a box, Charlie, right? It becomes a box you tick instead of making it a part of the daily operating model of every company. It reminds me a little bit of Bhutan, the country, that instead of having gross domestic product as an indicator, has a gross happiness metric. Uh, And where's that? Why don't we have that as our goal for our country? Everybody remembers the road sign that Steve put up at the keynote, right? Technology and liberal arts. And it was so brilliant, but it was really his quote that has just lived on underneath that. And it's funny to me that he got it so many years ago because he said technology alone is not enough. It's technology when married with the liberal arts, married with humanity is what will impact lives and make our hearts sing. His quote was quite profound. And and I remember reading it very early on coming into Apple. And when we talk about balance, we were all about technology. But but he told us, he told the world there was this whole other side and it needed to become one. And and I think his products were doing that, maybe just not the largest product. Mm. Yeah, he's a huge inspiration for, for so many of us. Certainly, the future of storytelling, we think a lot about this, about the role that human-centric experience and the power of stories to, to move us and to change us and, and just getting that balance between left and right brain. I know that you're somebody who considers herself a 50-50, can you know, analyze a spreadsheet, but also can, can really be an empathetic storyteller or connector. How do you think that companies can get more in balance? So much of them are either driven by engineering or driven by analytics, you know, MBA sort of thinking, and they need to celebrate this human component. How do we readjust that in the, in the corporate world? It's a really great question. And I think the timing of, of asking it, Charlie, especially with everything that we know is coming, because if you are too off balance, if you are purely operationally run and, and financially driven, et cetera, you will not have the creative teams with the instinctive gifts to look around corners. And I'm talking three, five years out and to know what's coming. Again, every human is born with tremendous instincts. And, you know, and some can see further out than others, et cetera. But I think for companies to get back on balance, Having people who can feel and see and they just know where things are inevitably going, you won't win this next race that's about to happen without that. And Mm -hmm. that will be the only way I think that humans will be able to compete against the intelligence that that we're so smartly creating. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to have to go back to it. Mm -hmm. And, And I think even more importantly, you have to trust it. You're concerned about AI and the way it's going to enable amazing things, but it's also going to really shift things. And what I hear you saying is that the counterbalance to artificial intelligence is emotional intelligence. It's that ability to interact with people, to have feelings, to have a high, what they call the EQ, to sort of be able to read the interaction with people and and have honest connections and sincere connections and trust. And so maybe mm-hmm. we have to lean more into our EQ education. Yeah, maybe we have to help create a, a curriculum on it. I love how when you went out there to think about what you should do at Apple, you started by coming from the bottom up instead of trying to go from the top down. Can you tell us a little more how you did that and, and why? I've never been a great top-down executive. 
I think I'm just too curious or it's my big family and my tight-knit community, but I love to listen and I love to hear. I work better when it's just uniting everyone around something so much bigger than themselves. Mm. And and it's so much more fulfilling for me personally. So if only we had more people like you running our government. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get back to thinking about things that are bigger than us individually. We need to get back to thinking about our collective challenges. Tell me what you think is happening with retail today. The whole idea of retail, I mean, we see these big boxes sort of empty. We see malls not having the traffic they used to have. Do you have any thoughts about where retail is heading today? Physical retail. Physical retail, sorry. I think there is still a role for physical retail. As humans, as people, we want to be with other people. I still think that you're you're going to need a place for experiences, whether it's just a meal, whether it's, you know, and it won't be everywhere. We are overstored in America. But I think the big centers that have evolved where they're doing a third of their business in food and beverage today and entertainment, they will absolutely survive. And I think that the great streets and the great cities you know, walk Nashville, walk Austin, go to Portland. I mean, there are, you know, some exciting things happening in, you know, some of the smaller cities. There's a real resurgence. But I think the big cities need to step it up a bit. And I remember going to one of your key stores in London, Burberry stores, and I went in and all of a sudden there were screens all over the, the store and it started to rain. And I had this sensation of literally being in a rainstorm as I watched water drops come down and pick up and go faster and faster. And if I remember correctly, the sound was actually people clapping, snapping, right? It was an amazing, immersive experience in the middle of this beautiful store, driven by technology, but also driven by something so naturally so human, human, like mm-hmm. you know, people snapping their fingers. It just made me think it was one of those early examples for me of seeing retail transform into immersive theater, almost into experiential play. And since then, I've been seeing a lot of people doing this. I mean, a lot of different examples, whether it's something like Meow Wolf, which is not retail, but it's, but it's taking over old empty spaces and turning them into entertainment, or something like what Starbucks is doing with its roasteries, mm-hmm. which are these incredible places to go mm-hmm. and feel like you're at the factory, <laughs> the, the coffee yeah. factory. Yeah, brands have such opportunities And it's funny, if more brands thought of themselves as a great story, you know, when we started at Burberry, we said, we're not writing another novel. We're going to write some new, exciting chapters of this incredible brand story that's already been told. Everything we did at Burberry, everything that the creative media team came up with, it was all to reinforce that brand story. I used to say, it's not a coincidence that no matter where you were in the world, the first person who greeted you at the door had a British accent. Because subliminally, that reinforced that you were now in a British brand. Mm. And why the snapping in the rain? Because Burberry started as a raincoat company, (laughs) right? So it's not doing something just to do something. Mm -hmm. It's doing something that helps your story go deeper. Mm -hmm. All of us, as we come into these companies, it's our responsibility to write more exciting, great chapters, right? Founders had a vision, and they took it that far, and we just need to make it relevant and then pass the baton on to the next generation. And and the other thing I was so blown away by that store was the magic mirror. 
when I would pick up a raincoat and go into the changing room, stand in front of the mirror, it would recognize the coat or the bag, and then it would start to sort of tell me a story about that object. Yeah, yeah. And that felt like a like almost truly like magical, like uh, a Disney m- mirror, <laughs> you yeah, know, from yeah. a, a movie, but using technology to, to create a story about the products. Yeah, uh, to give it more purpose and more meaning, right? Yeah. So you could see where it was made and, you know, who touched it. And, and again, that was a lot of years ago, Charlie. Isn't I know, amazing? it's a long time ago, isn't mm-hmm. that? That's proof that a great team dreaming and working together what they can achieve even before the technology could enable it. I mean, it was really, you know, we were pushing and fighting and working with the top, top of organizations in order to make that happen. And, and, and it's relatively easy today. Yeah. I really do believe that the global flagship retail stores for Apple now are this opportunity to come live the brand. I think you're doing exactly the same thing that you did at Burberry with the experience walking into an Apple store the difference is the brand stands for different things. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm not trying on a piece of clothing, but I am being empowered by Apple. Uh, to learn more about photography or music or app development. And again, I always say just it should be a natural extension of what you're doing on your smallest products, but you do it very differently on your larger product, which is your retail store. Angela, I can't thank you enough for coming and being part of this today. As always, it's such a delight to have the opportunity to chat with you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. No, it's an honor. It's an honor. And good luck on this podcast, because <laughs> I am so excited to be the first. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to our first episode. And a special thank you to Angela Arntz for a lively conversation. It would be a great help to us if you'd be willing to spread the word about our new show. There are two small things you can do to support us. First, please make sure you subscribe wherever you subscribe to podcasts. And second, if you can think of someone who might be interested in our show, please pass us along to them. Word of mouth is entirely what makes shows succeed, and we'd like to continue making our program for you. Thank you for your time, and a big thank you to our brilliant production partner, Charts and Leisure. We'll see you next week with another conversation. Please be well and be safe. For more information about future of storytelling, visit us at faust.org.